Hey, I'm Ray Hudson, and you are, I don't know who you are, but you're listening to Blaugranagram. Don't be like them kids in the Blair Witch Project, and go away, right? Hello, and welcome back to The Driven Shot. This is episode three of season three. I am Omar Hawash. He is Joab Pedrata. How are you doing, Joab? It's been a little while. Yep, it's been a little while, and I think a lot of things have happened for Barca in that very short period. We'll talk yeah. about it, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, if you guys want to stay up to date with everything Barcelona, you probably already do since you're watching this or listening to this. But if you don't, you can check out our website. It's it's called it's blogronogram.com, so www.blogronogram.com, or check out our socials to support Blogronogram and the Blogronogram Podcast Network, which is uh, how you are seeing or hearing this podcast. Um, the episodes are, of course, live. We do this uh, on Tuesdays, uh, and uh, if you tune in and you've missed la- you missed the last episode or you missed a part of this episode, you can always tune in uh, using Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, Amazon, Audible. It's all on there. Um, so yeah, do check it out and drop us a rating or a like or subscribe or follow um, or share it with your friends if you enjoyed this episode. Now, with that said, we are going to be talking about FC Barcelona, and we're going to be talking about, more specifically, um, the last two games, which have caused an upset among fans. And um, I've noticed, and I want to say this, and I want to hear you guys' opinion as well, that um, there seems to be a lot of negativity around Barcelona and a lot of pessimism. And part of it, I understand. Uh, part of it, I think, is just reactionary takes. Um, but... I've noticed people dwell a lot on the negatives, which, again, I understand. But then when someone brings in a positive opinion or just something optimistic, they're they're just labeled instantly. Um, (laughs) I guessed it on a friend of mine called Adrian on his uh, podcast over on Rabona TV uh, on that YouTube channel. And um, I was absolutely bashed in the comments for being positive about Barcelona, which I think is ridiculous. You know, like, yeah, listen, I know there's a lot of – you know, I know the results aren't going Barca's way. Um, I know that, you know, people think that certain players aren't playing well or whatever, but there are still positives that I feel like people are just not focusing on. And I know that people aren't focusing on them because they like to focus on the negatives because that's social media. But I do think there are positives. And I, I want to bring some of those up today, which I've, I've brought them up uh, in podcasts, on live streams and so on. But I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Joab? I want to hear what you have to say. And I also obviously want to hear from our viewers here. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I think there's more negatives right now, or, or at least they're more visible, the negative parts of Barcelona, mm-hmm. especially because uh, I've come to realize that in Barca, you, you're not just expected as a manager to actually win the big games and win, well, win basically every game, but you're also expected uh, of your team to actually play the beautiful game, Bikitaka, uh, Cruyff. Uh, the possession-based, incredible stats for Barcelona, the possession and the creation of chances. So I think that that adds something to the pressure that any player or manager of Barca actually have. But I do believe that one of the main positive things is that actually that culture of Barcelona, depending on, well, not depending, but actually using the young talents of La Masia is, is coming back, definitely. I'm not sure if the last few generations that were actually under uh, Ernesto Valverde and Josep Maria Bartomeu weren't actually that talented as this one. 
but at least I, I can come up with three or four names from La Masia that are actually uh, really standing out. And I think that's one of the most important things because, well, at least right now in the immediate future, you may not have that much success. But I mean, you reconstructed everything. I mean, Lionel Messi, basically your standard for the last uh, 17 years, I think, just left. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious that the, the club was going to go through something like this. But at least you have a few young players that actually fill up the void of uh, great players that are also basically um, in the last years of their own careers. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point with that as well. And that's a thing, too, that people for a long, long time used to say, no, why are Barca not playing their youngsters? Barca need to play their youngsters. And now, yes, there's also ongoing Barca's way, and that's not the youngsters' fault because they're still youngsters. Um, And for as much as people want to argue tactics and, and all that, that's a positive part that the youngsters are being played. They're given chances. You know, you can say Ansu, obviously Ansu is going to get a chance because he's Ansu Fati and, and he's the as good as he 10. is, right? <laughs> the new number 10. But then players like uh, players like Eric Garcia, I know that he's, he's you know, a favorite in Catalonia because of his past, but he's still a young defender. And a different manager might not have played Eric Garcia because, you know, He's too young, right? That's we've seen that. We've seen that plenty of times. That's why Todibo, part of why Todibo never got it, didn't in my eyes really get a chance under uh, that under the management back then. Um, you know, Araujo, I don't think would have. I mean, obviously, part of it was injuries that let Araujo yeah. come to the fore, but also part of it was trust. Now that those players are back and he's taken over because he's just that good and he's still getting the chance, even though he's young. In Champions League games against Bayern and all that, right? So. That's the thing that I think people are forgetting. They're, they're very quick to forget that because they're focusing on the fact that Barca are like, what, what were they, 10th or 9th in the table? Um, you know, Barca are losing. Barca haven't had a shot on target in two games and all that. And it's like, yeah, of course, those are negatives. And, you know, criticism is, is merited, right? But don't, you know, don't criticize in a way that makes you come off as a jerk. And don't just criticize, but give credit where it's due, yep. right? Like no one is saying don't – like if you have – if you feel that something is going wrong, no one is telling you to not say that you feel that it's going wrong. But don't go around and abuse players on social media or abuse like, you know, social media admins on their personal accounts or like like all that. That's That's so unnecessary and it's so dehumanizing. And I think people tend to forget that behind all this, behind social media, there's there are human beings behind those screens. And for a lot of people, like, just to give you an example, like with Manchester United, right, with Bruno Fernandes when he missed that penalty against Aston Villa, a lot of people got on his back on social media. And, I mean, the footballing aspect of it aside that, yeah, penalties are psychological and, you know, it's not always easy and blah, blah, blah. This is a human being. Right. And and people really, really forget that very, very often. Um, like I've seen some really, really out of pocket stuff said about Kuman's condition, like by people. Right. And it's it's honestly like it's ridiculous. Like I don't I don't understand how people can look themselves in the mirror or go to bed knowing that they do stuff like that. And this is not to turn this podcast into like a conscious whatever. But I think it's important to point out because more now more than ever, we're seeing this trend. 
as soon as your team doesn't get the result that you wanted or as soon as a player doesn't play well, you just see people either getting racist or just absolutely, you know, hurling insults at that player or that manager or that whatever. And it's, it's like, it's so unnecessary and it's It's so, (laughs) it's way too excessive, you know? And that's, that's, I guess that's my whole point with it is that, you know, you may disagree with someone, whether that's football, whether that's, you know, whatever, but don't that doesn't give you the right to go to then go and just abuse them verbally or you know track them down or whatever in any way whatsoever exactly <laughs> that's it so yeah i just wanted to put that out there um you know because i feel like that doesn't get said enough and i think it's necessary to to emphasize that uh because some people tend to just not care about that at all and uh that leads to some very very bad consequences so yeah, please just be kind to each other. I know for Barca fans these are tough times, but just you know, just be decent human beings. Use use, yep. use common decency, use common sense, you know, and and that's it. That's really it's really that simple. Um, yeah. That aside, um, in terms of Barcelona, again, there are some positives. Um, but also, like, the negatives, I think, mostly are tactical issues that people are pointing out. Either tactical issues or players that are being played in profiles they should that they don't really fit. So, like, the issue, for for example, with Frankie de Jong, I've seen people saying that he should be sold, which I think is outrageous because he's arguably one of the most consistent players for Barcelona and has been, bar Messi and Pedri, for the last, you know, year or so. Um and he's so versatile that it's actually ridiculous. Like, as a box-to-box midfielder, which I think is his best position, he's getting up towards the top X in the world, for me at least. When he's on form, when he's consistent, he's getting to that top X player in the world, like top 5, top 10, top 20, whatever. Um, and he plays the role as a libero just fine. You know, as the middle man in a three-man back line, he plays well out wide when he drifts out wide. He plays well as the as the late runner from midfield, basically as like a uh, an ace up the sleeve number nine, right? And you know, I just I I don't understand people that say, oh well, you know, Barca, you know, they would make some money from selling him, so why don't they sell him? And I don't know who would replace him. Who do you have or who could you have that would replace him? You know, because Nico and Gabi are still growing up. For as much as you can talk about them as players and their ability, they're still growing up. You can't put that pressure on players like that, you know. And it's not like Barca are going to sell Frankie and go get Joshua Kimmich. Like, that's just not going to happen. And Kimmich is the closest example that I can think of to Frankie in terms of his versatility and his ability on and off the ball. Um so, yeah, I just want to go on record and say that that's an absolutely ridiculous <laughs> point to make for people to say, yeah, no, let's just sell Frankie. Um, but, yeah, that's been an issue as well. It has been not Frankie, but the way he's been played has been a bit of an issue because, again, and you may disagree. Let me know if you do it in chat. Let us know what you think. We want to hear your opinions on this too. Um, but as far as Frankie goes, his best role, in my eyes, is a box-to-box because he can defend, 
with the team. He can close, cut down the passing lanes. And then going forward, he's really good at just driving the ball forward and breaking lines with his passes, um, doing some quick, you know, give and goes. Um, but then if you put him in a back three, he's a solid defender. He's solid enough to be there. And Barca, I'm pretty sure statistically, have conceded very few goals with him in a three-man back line. But also it limits the team because you don't have anyone that can drive the ball forward like he can. Because Coutinho can do it, but Coutinho has a different role to fill. You know, if you if 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 Kuman and company want him out on that wing or drifting in the half space, and you take him and you put him inside and you have Pedri playing at the same time, they're gonna get in the way of each other. And Pedri, as good as he is, I think he's a good box-to-box player, but I don't think he has the defensive prowess of Frankie. So you would suffer from not having that box-to-box. Pedri is brilliant going forward, and he's okay going. He's he's okay in defense, but he's not someone you'd want to have as a mainly holding midfielder, like in a in a in a box-to-box role. So it just for me, no matter the options, if you're gonna put Frankie in a back three, it's because you're it's that's because your game plan is just to defend. That, that's how I see it. If you're putting Frankie in the back three, your game plan is to defend, maybe get a goal on a, th- a through ball or something, uh, like, I mean, get the pass over the top, right? Um, and that, that's, that's, that's my thing with Frankie is that my issue with him is he's too good in too many positions. And because of that, he's been played in positions where he shouldn't really be playing because ideally you want players – in those positions that are natural in those positions. Because then when you lose him in midfield, you lose that much of a player in midfield. You lose the dynamic engine in midfield. Um, but yeah, I want to know what you think. Um, so yeah, as you were talking, I actually looked up the age of, of Frankie. So he's 24 years old. So let's say that you actually sell him because, I don't know, cr- uh, economic crisis and all that. And let's say that in two years, he develops into being one of the best players, uh, best center midfielders of the world. And he would just be 26. So he would have like another five, six years of career left. But you were the club that actually sold him because you decided that the immediate future was more important than the long term. Mm -hmm. So I think from that point of view, it's just illogical to actually sell Frankie right now, especially because, as you well said, uh, I think he had something really different to the Barca midfield that not every midfielder could actually do. At this point, I do think that if Koeman goes back to the 4-3-3 at some point because of injuries, um, are, all the players are back, they're fit and all that, I would actually, the only person I could uh, see Barca actually beginning to change would be uh, Busquets. Because as, as we talked uh, so many times last season, he's not the player that he used to be. It's just natural. I mean, his age his speed, his sometimes even awareness or focus isn't really there anymore. And I would that would be the only player of the midfield that I would actually change because I think that Pedri adds, I don't know, that X factor that nobody really can uh, put their finger on what he actually does, but he plays really differently from a lot of midfielders. And yeah. that is actually spectacular because I think he's like, he's really short, but he somehow intercepts a lot of balls. He runs a lot, as we all know. So I think he... He's one of those play- players that actually covers a lot of ground. Yeah. But then Frankie, as you said, you actually have him that can play like a sort of number nine because he comes into spaces so well and he finds those pocket of spaces so well that like he actually 
can score behind another striker. But I think the main issue for me right now for Barca is the way they actually attack. Because obviously in the last season, you still had Messi. Messi could cut back a little bit into the middle, then a magical pass or just an incredible shot from outside of the box and it would be a goal or at least something a little bit more interesting. But right now you don't have really anyone that actually does that. You have Coutinho that tries to do it, but I think that sometimes he just gets lost. He loses himself in the space. So I think sometimes he's just not that around. And then you have Luke de Jong that I think covers like two square meters in the whole during the whole match. And I mean, you can send, you can play through the crosses, but if you want to do that, you have to actually have fullbacks or wingers that know how to cross well. And that's an issue for Barca because you haven't had that kind of striker in how many years? I think like since Ibra played for Barca, Barcelona didn't actually have a strike uh, header that a striker that could actually head really well. Luis Suarez could head really well, but he wasn't that tall, so I don't think that really applies. Mm. So the the fullbacks of Barca don't actually know how to cross up top. Yeah, I mean you have Jordi Alba, but we all know his. Uh, he likes the low driven crosses, the cutbacks. Exactly, and Sergio this I think crosses well, but he doesn't know where to actually put the ball in a position where Luke de Jong can actually win. And sometimes when the ball is in a good position, Luke de Jong isn't just there or he yeah. doesn't compete that well. So I think that's the main issue right now for Barcelona players that a lot of them have been playing for the same way so many so many years that right now they don't know what to actually, what they have to do. And I think that's the main criticism that I have for, for Ronald Koeman. That I mean, he planned this season. He knew what, the, what players he would have. Obviously, injuries are always a surprise. But this is a squad that he... Um, Ide- this is like his ideal squad right now. So this is like the main criticism that he hasn't really shown any ideas of what to do. And it's being the same for the Benfica match and for Atletico. So I'm not sure if he's really planning to change something or just be like, oh, we'll just cross and see whatever happens or what can actually happen. One of those crosses that one of the defenders is lazy or just not focused. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's it's a valid point. Um, especially in terms of the crossing that you said that, you know, it's, it's, that's a thing like with Barcelona, it was, this was always going to be a transition season. Um, even without Messi leaving, this was always going to be part of the rebuild phase for Barcelona because Messi wasn't going to leave at some point anyway, because he was aging, um, you know, and, and with Messi gone, Barca have to rebuild and, and they have a lot of tools and players, I think that are good enough for that. But also, it's like you said with the style of play that they are so used to not playing with crosses. I, I like even if Alba used to be an Andy Robertson type of crosser, just finds the space every single time and crosses it. Even if he used to be like that five years ago, and Barca stopped playing with that playing style five years ago, he's sort of he's not in that groove anymore. Like he used to be, from what I recall, and I might not be remembering this correctly, but. From what I recall, he used to be a decent crosser of the ball. Like when he actually crossed it, it used to be okay. But now he's obviously not as used to it anymore, so it takes a little bit extra. Um, also mentally from him to say, okay, well, I'm not going to cut this back. I'm going to cross this. I'm going to drift my body into that space to shape up for the cross. Um, so, you know, that's that's an issue as well. And, I mean, listen, with all these attacking players that Barca have and all these midfielders, it is very – Strange 
to see that Barca are struggling with shots on target because their build-up play is really good uh, for the most part. In transition, I think there's been a lot of positives to take from it. They're finding the space as well. Coutinho, I think, had probably his best game in a Barca shirt since his first half season against Atleti. I think his game against Atleti was I – th- I think it was brilliant. I know people might disagree. I know people have agendas against Coutinho. I don't know. People just might not, might not think he's that good. But for me, I think he was one of the standout players for Barcelona that night. Um, and, you know, it happens. But that's the thing, too. You have Coutinho getting used to the team. Nico and Gavi getting used to the first team. Um, Luke de Jong has just joined. Memphis is also still getting used to the team. Eric Garcia is still getting used to the team. You know, um, Alex Balde, when he plays, there like there are so many, so, so, so many players that are still getting used to everything. And that's a big task for Kuman, and that's a big task for everyone involved, right? So, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough. And and I, I that's that's the thing I want people to understand that people are expecting Barcelona to just come out victorious after every game or still be able to compete with the likes of Atleti and Bayern, who are molded teams. These are teams that have been built for years. Yes, they've got some new players here and there. Right, Atleti got Luis Suarez. It took João Felix a while to adjust, but now that he's adjusted, the team clicks a bit better. Angel Correa, I remember people were calling for his head like a year and a half ago. Everywhere I saw, and I never understood why, because I've always thought of him as a brilliant player. And then he turned things around, and now he's one of their key players. He has, he still has the number ten shirt, right? So that's a team that's been molded, you know, by the same manager for three hundred years. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with it with El Cholo, and it's like, like that's the thing. That's the thing that people I feel like keep forgetting is that Barca are facing Bayern Munich, who have an identity. They've had the same players for ages, right? A lot of these same players have been there for ages. A lot of their starting eleven has been there for ages. Maybe you can add one or two players, but those players have come through the academy, so they know the club well. And the Bundesliga is also slightly less competitive than La Liga, if we're being generous. So. With all those things, and if, if you take all those things into account, you know, Barca were doomed to lose against Bayern simply based on the fact that Bayern are a team that knows itself, a team that's had a long time to build itself as a team. And that's where Barca will be, maybe, in a, you know, I'm if I had to guess, maybe two years. I know it sounds like it's far away. Maybe it'll be more, maybe it'll be less. But the point is that Barca right now are in a position where – as a club, they've suffered a little bit. John Laporta has come in, and he's doing the, his best to turn the club's situation around and do what he seems, you know, what he deems fit as a pre- as a club president. He's done it before, and I'm sure he'll do it again. And he has personally, he has my full confidence. Um, <laughs> and I think for a lot of Barcelona fans, people believe that Laporta will be able to pull off whatever he's planning to do. But it takes time, you know. When Barca face teams like. Even like Benfica, I know people say, oh, well, it's only Benfica. Well, yeah, but Benfica are a team that, you know, for as much as they've struggled, they still have a sort of identity in them. They have a sort of style of play that they want to follow. With Barca, when you get what, if we just have a just a rough guess, or not really a guess, but a rough estimate, six new players have come to the fore this season, including youngsters. And a lot of them are in the starting 11 or in and around the dynamics in the peripheral of the first team. So you have to get those involved. And for the manager, 
those might be players that he hasn't managed before. With Memphis, he's managed them before. That's why Memphis has had an easy time adjusting, right? Dest, you know, he's I think he's adjusted very well, right? But then you have players like Luke DeYoung. Kuman has managed him for not a long time, but he's managed him so he sort of I think people sort of have an idea of what to expect from Luke, but also forget that it takes time, especially for a striker, especially when the team is changing the entire system to suit that type of striker. Because again, like you said, Barca have been used to a striker that play makes or a striker that, you know, is around the shoulder of the last defender, you know, a good holdup striker. Whereas Luke De Jong is just a traditional number nine, right? Um, and that's his style of play. So Barca need to alter their style of play to fit him at the same time as they're trying to even find a style of play that fits this team with all these new players coming <laughs> in. It's a lot of work. And that's what I think people, for as much as people say, oh, you're just, you know, you're just saying positive stuff. You're not even a real fan, which is absolutely not true, by the way. <laughs> um, for, as much, for as much as people say that, I think they just neglect those details that might seem like minor things and those positives might seem like minor positives. But in the in the grand scheme of things, those are really really important things that and factors that people just don't acknowledge, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, also in the case of Luke de Jong, I think he he hasn't really figured out how he wants to play for Barca because mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I'm not an I'm not an analyst I'm an analysis I'm not an expert and all mm -hmm. that, but I would say that I would actually tell him to play very similar to how. Um, Oliver Giroud plays, plays for France, just like a pivot. Yeah. You play in favor of the team. I mean, you you receive the ball, and obviously your back is turned towards the, the goal. And you just play as a pivot. Because, I mean, that's the best thing that you can actually do for the team. So mm -hmm. you're you're the kind of player that actually um, drives the defenders away from spaces so that you're, one of your teammates, teammates has a little bit more space. But I think that his mobility has just been lacking a lot in these first few matches for Barca. Because, I mean, he tries to go into the space, but he doesn't quite get there. And then mm -hmm. we, when, he, when he can play as a pivot, he decides to keep the ball, and then he loses it. So I think that would actually be, like, one of the main remarks that I can actually make of Luke de Jong, that he should actually play as a pivot, similar to what Olivier Giroud did for France when they won the World Cup. I don't think he actually had a shot on target during that whole uh, uh, World Cup, mm -hmm. but... They were they were champions, and he was in a crucial part of the of the team because he was a pivot for Antoine Griezmann, and he allowed Griezmann to actually score so many crucial goals. Yeah. So I think that that would be one of the main uh, remarks that I could actually make. But also for all of those that are actually bashing the team, just wait for all the players to be back. I mean, right now, obviously, you don't have Usman Dembélé, um, who we all know that is kind of a glass kind of player. But let's hope that he actually play a little bit longer this time. But he's one of those players that actually adds something different to the attack, and he's so speedy that a lot of defenders actually are, are afraid of him. Yeah. Then you have Ansu Fati, who's coming back from a year-long injury, so he still has to find his groove and then play 90 minutes because the last few matches he's played, I think, like, what, 15 at, at the most, 25 minutes, I think. So just wait for him to beg back. Also, Kunagüeros, who we all know is also aging, but he, I think he's still a class kind of striker. Mm -hmm. And I think more of a striker that could uh, fit much more easily for Barcelona. And then who else do we have injured? Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm um, missing somebody. Yeah, I'm thinking 
I'm thinking, so you have El Kun, obviously, and Dembele, and Dembele, and then Balde oh, well, is coming back, Alba well, is coming back, um, yep. you know. Yeah, like, so, I mean, just just wait for those players to be actually back and in good health, and then if they if they don't still, uh, well, if they keep playing like they're playing right now, then yeah, I mean, bash them. They're professional players, <laughs> they have to play better, but... I mean, right now, the team, as Omar said so very well, they're in a transition period. And also, not not all the players are available for the coach. But I do think Ronald Koeman has to figure it out because that's that's his job. He has to figure it out with the players that he actually has right now. He can't just be saying, oh, we're gonna we're losing this once, but in a few months, we're going to start winning once we have everyone. And you can't just figure out the young players like, oh, um, Nico didn't play well in this uh in this specific uh, play, and that's why we lost. I mean, you can actually, you can't do that as well because I mean, you're just thrashing the young players and their their self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more of a collective thing. You can't just point out one single player or one single person. It's a thing of the whole club. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I see your point. I see your point. Um, and and you know, with Barcelona, there there is a lot of work to be done you know for Ronald Koeman it's a very big task um and yeah I mean again the results haven't played in Barca's favor and part of that has been that the opposition have been good but also that Barca tactically got it wrong on the night you know and and then that also raises a question of like you said is is Koeman going to wait until everyone is back before he starts getting the results which is not a feasible option because you don't know when Debele and Aguero are going to be back if you knew that they'd be back in a week or two, right, right, like right on the brink of returning from the international break, then, you know, fair enough if you have a certain style in mind and all that stuff. But you don't really – you can't really count on them being back at a certain point and then build around that. You have to build around what you have right now. And I think slowly – I think from Benfica to Atleti, there was a big improvement in how the team – you know, the team's build-up play and the team's style of play. And the defenders looked very confident, you know, despite the goals – before the goals were scored, and even after the goals were scored, the team responded well, um, you know. And that's, that's again, I know I keep, you know, it's like beating a dead horse, but there are a lot of positives, I think, to take from, from those games. Yes, there are negatives, obviously, but there are positives to take from those games. And those positives, positives should also be acknowledged and taken into account when looking at the bigger picture. Um and yeah, that's I mean that's that's the way I that's the way I see it, and I fully understand if people have uh, completely opposing opinions. Um, but I do ask you to stay civil amongst you know amongst one another. Um, and you know, again for Barca, just you got to be a bit patient, honestly. Like that's that's the I know it sounds stupid, but that's I mean again, Barca are in a rebuild phase. They're in a rebuild phase. You're gonna endure games where Barca lose against you know the less prominent teams, and then all of a sudden win against the, you know, the, the Giants or vice versa. Because Barca right now are in a process of, as a team, finding themselves, finding their identity, finding out which players fit which roles in which games against which opponents, and then also having that on as a consistent thing. And I know people have been bashing Ter Stegen a lot, um, and this is the note I want to end on before I give the word to you, is that <laughs> – a lot of people have been bashing Ter Stegen. I've seen people call him Ter Statue. I've seen people saying that he's fanatic, <laughs> and and I, I just, I just, <laughs> that's a good one. 
I just don't think it's like it's it's a fun one. I'll be honest, but I just don't think it's fair because as a goalkeeper, half of your quality depends on your defense. And if your defense is inconsistent in terms of just in terms of personnel, not even talking tactically here, which is a completely different ball game. If you have Araujo and PK in front of you one day, then the other day it's Araujo Garcia, then the third time it's Garcia and PK, and then you already throw Longley or Mingetha in the mix or Dest playing left back, you know, it destabilizes the defense because yep. they have to get used to playing in a different way all of a sudden. And so as a goalkeeper, if you're called upon once a game and you fail once a game, people will all will instantly just bash you and go, no, he's not what he used to be. Barca needs to buy this goalkeeper from the third <laughs> Belgian league, right? And it just, you know, with Ter Stegen, I, I still believe, I definitely think he's still got it, absolutely. But as well, you know, as well as that fact, you also just have to remember that he's playing behind a defense that's not stable because there are these injuries that mean that players will be played out of position, aside from the fact that there is competition for the center back spot. So you will have rotations, but the rotations are more often than they should be. You know, yeah. they're more frequent than they should be because there are the injuries that there are. And that influences you as a goalkeeper. Because if you're and used to having – And the red cards. Because if you're <laughs> used to, as a goalkeeper, that let's say with Pika, you're used to him containing – rather than, you know, pressing. And then all of a sudden you have Araujo. Araujo is just going to, you know, steamroll that guy. But it's going to influence your, your play as a goalkeeper because then if one, if your defender commits to a tackle and loses it, all of a sudden you have to be on high alert. Whereas if you're playing with a defender that just jockeys the opponent instead and waits and contains, you can then hop in and you know exactly what you're doing because you've been playing with that defender for so long, right? So that that change is something that I don't think people have really noticed. Is that well? Yeah, you're seeing a lot of change in defense, and Barcelona are conceding a lot of goals. It's Ter Stegen's fault. No, it's not. It's a collective. <laughs> it's a collective. You know, it's a collective part of the process. It's, you know, it's if your defense and if your defense changes, your goalkeeper style changes, and so does his quality. You know, like if you put, if you put Ter Stegen in front of a back line of, uh, just throwing names out here: Phil Jones, Tyrone Mings. Uh, and then just uh, some makeshift left back and makeshift right back. And then you put him in front of, you know, a solid like Barca defense or Atleti defense. If you put him in front, if you put him behind, behind Atletico's defense, right? He's going to be a different keeper. He's going to be a different keeper. Is he going to look better than compared to like some, you know, mid-table Premier League sides goalkeeper? Yeah. Like if you, you know, if you take Ter Stegen, you put him in a, Mateo Premier League side, or then put him in a in, a, in you know an Atletico side. It's going to be very different because it depends on the defense and it depends on the consistency in who is in that defense, and that affects you as a goalkeeper. And people just they just don't think about that, you know. <laughs> so yeah, next time you want to bash Mark Andre Ter Stegen, have that in mind. Ter statue. Ter statue. <laughs> yeah, no, I was actually yeah. thinking. So uh, let's say with the players you have right now. Which would be your ideal defense for Barcelona? Um, I want to say Araujo, Mingueza at center backs, and then Dest. And I actually really want to see Balde come to the fore. Like, okay. I really, really want to see Balde because that game he played, I don't remember, I think it was against Levante. He was so uh, confident. He was so confident. 
and he had he had that energy. And I think if if him and Alba get some good competition going, some healthy competition, keep them both on edge, that would be great. Because then you actually have a proper competition for Alba in that left back spot, which has been the issue for a lot of years. Because even the left backs that were bought in weren't really given a fair shot. Um, yeah. So it obviously, like as a player, you won't, you know, you won't feel as on edge. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be my four back pairing. Just make, just give them a chance, time and time and time again. Let them, let them make, let them make mistakes because they learn from their mistakes. They're still young, but it's a fast back line. And you know, throw PK in the mix every now and again. Throw Long Lay in the mix. Um, you know, throw Alba in the mix. Like mix things around. But then if you have those four as your as your baseline, those are four young defenders. You know, Araujo and Mingueza know each other from from the B team. Dest is slowly getting you know very much cementing himself as a as a player in the first team as a, as a very important player in the first team. Then obviously Baldi can learn a lot from Alba, especially going forward. And you can see that it felt like he had some of that Alba in him and how he went forward, his patterns of movement and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be my ideal back four. And that would be in a back four. That wouldn't be a 3-5-2. Yep. They actually read my mind because I was I was thinking um, right now, I think, obviously, as I said in the live commentary, I think Araujo is just a starter right now. I think he's the most uh, solid center back for Barcelona at the moment. Sometimes he may be lose he may lose himself because he tries to pressure so high, but I mean those are those are the, the kind of mistakes that you expect him to learn from. So mm -hmm. I think he should be. I would also really like to see Minguez as a center back, and also obviously Destin Valde because Valde when he I think he he is he was substituted for uh, I mean he entered the match against uh, Bayern as a substitute. And I think he was... Bayern, that's who it was. It wasn't Levante, it was Bayern. You're right. Yeah, You're I, right. very energetic. I mean, he was just running. He was do, He was trying to do everything he could. So I really loved that energy. So that would be like my my ideal center backs. But then in the midfield, I'm not sure if I, if I would like to play like the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. But in yeah. case it was like the 4-2-3-1, I would actually like to see, obviously, Frenkie and possibly a rotation between Busquets and Nico, because, I, I mean, Nico is really young, so he can actually really uh, play well those spaces, and he covers a lot of ground as well. I mean, he runs also like crazy, so I think that would be an interesting uh, combination. And then up front, I would play Coutinho as a number 10. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Memphis as a striker. And then it would actually, I would actually be really interested in seeing Alba as a left winger. Because we know that he really likes to attack. And I think he was actually a winger when he started off, and then he was just transitioning. I'm pretty sure he was, back. yeah. yeah. As a wide midfielder, so, I think he started off, yeah. Yeah, and also I think he would cover a lot going back into the defense but not having all the responsibilities of a left back. So I think that would actually be really cool. And then on the right wing, I'm not sure if – well, let's say Ansu, obviously. So Ansu also on the, on the other wing. And then you would have a substitute um, – if everyone was healthy. Wait, so who wait, be... so wait, so you had Coutinho as the 10. And yep. then who who was up front then? Was that Memphis? Oh, Memphis. Memphis. Nice, nice. I like the sound yeah. of that though. I like the sound of that. Coutinho, Memphis, and then Ansu and Alba. That'd be yep. fun. So, I think I think that would be that would be a, a, I would love to see that in action. It would be interesting because I mean you would also have on the bench um Luke the Young, 
Aguero, so two strikers on the bench, and then you would have Braithwaite as well if he's uh, fit. If he's fit again, you would have uh, Demir, Usmane Dembele, uh, Ricky Puj, uh, Gabi, all the center backs and left backs. So I think it would be some sort of an interesting mix because you would have also a lot of weapons on the bench available to you in case something not, doesn't go really that well. And then you would have a mix of young blood and veterans on the pitch already. So I yeah. think it would be really interesting to see how that actually plays out. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And I would like to see Busquets get more rest just because he is aging. And if you want to keep him for a long time, resting him is the right thing to do. So when he does play, he's absolutely, you know, there. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think Nico would be would be very good for that for that pivot spot. Um, you know, and if it's if it's an attack in four three three. Which I think is what you hinted at is a double pivot, and then, yeah. yeah, no, I think I think Pedri could work in that system, but then one of the pivots would be a box to box, so they would kind yeah. of just switch, and then the pivot would probably be you know De Young. Um, Pedri probably wouldn't act as a pivot though, and that's my only concern with that lineup, is that if De Young pushes up, Pedri can't really act as a holding midfielder. Um, but then again, you know, with the way Barca play. It shouldn't be that big of a problem, I don't think, especially with the players that Barca have at their disposal. And, you know, if 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 Kuman wanted to play Busquets as well or Nico or Gavi, could put Nico and um, Frankie in that double pivot, make him maybe maybe even play them as, as central midfielders rather than holding midfielders. So then just have two box to box and then a cam in front of them and then the wingers yep. that would then track back and cover the half spaces. Um but yeah, no, plenty of plenty of flexibility in that formation as well. And honestly, like like you said, with Alba, he is a good defender, but he's also very good going forward. And I think it would make sense to have a defender behind him and then have him try and play as a winger. Um, you know, he's not the best one to one one on one dribbler, but then again, in a, if you play a certain system, you don't really need him to be that good no. at one v ones. You know. Um, just need him in a good position and to have like good awareness of his teammates, which I think he does have. Yeah, like, absolutely. I think he, I think he does like it sometimes because he's also worried about uh, who's on his back playing already like 20 meters ahead of him in case they go into a counterattack. So I think yeah. that's sometimes an issue. And I also what I like about what I would like about that formation is that you would actually give Pedri some rest. Because we all know that whoever the manager is, they're they're gonna try to to squeeze every single minute off of Pedri. And mm. I mean, he he is still young. And also, if you want to keep it for a long time and keep him progressing, you have to also give him rest. You can't just play him ninety minutes uh, the whole season, every single season. This is just his second season, and he's already injured because of fatigue, probably. So I think that's something that shouldn't be natural in a player of his age. I think he's just eighteen or something like that. So. I think he yeah. should be um, he should be rested a lot more for Barcelona. Yeah, no, I, th I think you I think you make a good point there, um, and I think that's an excellent point to round the episode up on. Um, we've spoken about a lot, and we will also be promoting the podcast so you guys know that it's happening. Um, if you just tuned in, or if you you know tuned in, you missed parts of it. Don't worry, it will be on Spotify and Google Podcasts and all that stuff very very soon. So, um, yeah, make sure to tune in. If you enjoyed this, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share, and rate, and all that. Our social media handles, if you haven't had enough of us already, uh, mine is right <laughs> there. Jobs is over there, there. Yeah, 
he's pointing at it it's there if this is confusing yeah there um so yeah make sure to drop us a follow uh send us a dm if you have any questions or just tweet at us and we will take them up for the next episode um we have a comment actually from fred says <laughs> oh, yeah. i think that's one of your friends right that is one of my friends uh it's one of my close friends we also have a different we have another podcast together um and it's called uh, lost in translation so you can check that out as well um and yeah he dabs he wants me to dab i'm not gonna dab on air not yet just, maybe just maybe it. if you ask me 10 times may, okay all right well there you go um all right thank you all for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this i hope you're staying, staying safe and well um Joav, any last words from you um, just please, uh, a little bit of patience for Barcelona and we'll be sure to turn this around and as always, uh, peace of love and keep it, just keep it chill. Keep it chill and keep it real. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. And on that note, roll the outro. My name is Phil Shane and you've been listening to the Driven Shot hosted by Omar Hawash and the Blaugranogram News Outlet. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.